Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As you edge towards those things, handstand walking, um, tipping handstand push-ups, muscle-ups, the risk of injury goes up. It just, it is. I mean, I don't have to like sit and pretend like there's no injury in the sport. There is. Mm -hmm. And, but if you mitigate certain movements, it goes down. It's kind of like the NFL. Like if you took out tackling at the NFL, (laughs) it would, injury rates would go down. I promise you they would. Now it's your choice of whether you play flag football or tackle football. I don't play tackle football. I do play flag football. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? Terrific. Thank you, Patrick. (laughs) Good. Terrific's good. Um, All right. Today we are returning to our two-minute drill. Our two-minute drill for those folks who might be new is when uh, our listeners send us really good questions and I sort through them and I present them to you with the challenge of answering them within two minutes. Uh, And the fun for me is that I often pick questions that are absolutely not meant to be answered within two minutes. And then I sit back and I watch and and, um, see if you can do it. Challenge accepted. Let's go. So as always, uh, the questions we've got today are random, but are within the scope of things we often talk about here on the show. So first question we've got. I have a question on discipline and consistency. I have good intentions. However, I get distracted and my intentions aren't reflected by my actions. I get excited about things I want to accomplish. I may be consistent with it for a week or a month, but then I tend to fall off track and the whole thing makes me feel like a failure. Yeah. Two minutes. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So assess the personality, assess the, the goal yep. setting structure, assess. Uh, <laughs> okay. So w- within the confines of the framework of which we're operating, which is this two minute drill, I would start off by saying that the, the person asking the question is already self-diagnosed it themselves. Mm-hmm. They have trouble committing. So to me, the, the idea is they haven't found something that's truly setting them on fire. They're doing things that in the moment feel really exciting. But what happens is when push come to shove, let's say, I don't know what the person's goals are, but let's say the person's goals are to, um, I'm really excited to try to run a marathon and eat clean. I really want to get my health better. So I'm going to eat clean and I'm going to run a marathon. Mm-hmm. That's all well and good. And when that there's that initial spark, that initial like, ah, yes. And you get this, you actually get a dopamine response. You actually get a hormone response to just thinking about your goals. That's the danger of goals is you can actually trick yourself into feeling good just about talking about them. Yeah. And then what happens is that dopamine response, you get, you want to get the next one. So you do it again. Unfortunately, the person doesn't have a few things the commitment or discipline to follow through on them, which 
a lot of people don't when it's about running a marathon or eating clean because when you're at a birthday party and they're passing around the birthday cake, you saying no to that is really hard. That's, it's it's just as simple as that. It's hard. You getting up to run another six miles when there's two inches of slush on the ground is really hard. So what happens is unless you have incredible drive, incredible commitment and discipline, what we then need to do instead is one of two things. Either set goals that truly set your heart on fire that you don't have to use discipline to accomplish or set yourself up in environments as such that it's almost impossible not to accomplish mm. them. Yep. So if it's eating clean, just like throw out everything in the house that is not great food. Do nothing but shop for food in the produce and the the, the clean meat section or from butcher box or whatever it is. Yep. And you don't have an op- you don't have an option. You're just because you're creating that with great environments, you don't need great discipline. But what you can do instead of great environment, if you have the discipline or what creates the discipline is the story you're telling yourself. And this person is telling themselves like after two or three weeks, I fall off track. Mm-hmm. Yep. So because what you repeat, the power of repetition cannot be understated. It is about repetition, repetition, repetition. And the things that you say to yourself will manifest themselves. Mm-hmm. So I'll let everyone else tease out the rest of that because two minute drill. Go ahead. Next question. What would you say to athletes who only post their score when they have a top score for the day? Yeah, I would say I get it. <laughs> like, like when I come, when I came home from school with a good grade, I, yeah. I showed my parents. Yep. When I came home from school with a bad grade, I didn't show my parents. <laughs> yep. So I get it. That's the first thing. I guess the next one would be, why does that concern you? Why are you worried about other people? Are you worried about when kids come home from school and they don't show their parents the 72, but they do show their parents the 88? It probably doesn't concern you. So why is this getting at you? And if you're a coach and you want to like, no, because I believe it's for the betterment of the athlete to be able to um, show measurable, observable, repeatable results for everything that they're doing and measuring things, then have that conversation with them and let them know that when you follow through on that practice of sharing results, you actually end up working harder working harder is the shortcut to results. So the first thing is I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get on that person in a major way. Mm -hmm. You know, if I was a new coach, it's my first six months of doing this. I'd be like, Oh my gosh, you got to post up. But people are at different spots of their journey. If you force them into a spot that they're not, they're going to push back or rebel or leave. So you got to meet people where they are. So understand where that person is. Mm -hmm. I think the question, or at least the way that I read it, was kind of like, uh, I'm noticing these people who I, I, you know, work out alongside or compete with, kind of cherry pick their own, yeah, you know, their own, their own putting to the whiteboard, putting on the leaderboard or whatnot. So the way I actually looked at it was like, how do I, in some ways, this wasn't the question, but the, kind of how I read it is like, how do I deal with it when people only cherry pick the, you know, and they make themselves look better? And so it's kind of that, that like, it's not internal. It's like, how do I deal with that person who keeps doing it? Yeah. Um, so it's, we're dealing with your own locus of control. What is inside yeah. your control was outside your control. 
and people's actions and behaviors are outside your control. Your reaction and your responses to those behaviors are inside your control. Mm-hmm. So it's about adjusting you, not adjusting them. Yeah. Next question. I'm 12 years old. I have been doing CrossFit on and off for uh, about four years. I play football, Olympic oh lifting. Can do- <laughs> so since eight years old. Yeah. Uh, and he can do all the CrossFit movements like muscle-ups uh, uh, or such as muscle-ups. Um, what advice do you have for someone my age using CrossFit to perform in other sports and in life? Cool. First off, like, that's awesome. Good on you. Amazing. Yep. Um, you're probably a beast, 12 years old, doing muscle ups and all the movements, been doing four years. That's so, so cool. Um, love the question. If it's, um, your age and what should be doing it to train for other sports and for life, don't get caught up in the, the higher level competition of CrossFit, Mm. because as you do that, you're actually forcing yourself into what's called third wave adaptations, which is the really nitty gritty. It is the tiny little differences that people are searching for the ones, twos, and three percents, which are not necessarily transferable to other sports or life. Example, um, truly learning how to, um, um, bounce clean a a barbell Mm. barbell cycling. There's a thing called bounce cleaning where you don't get yourself into a strong, clean position, you actually hack the body position a little bit and keep your torso totally upright. You don't lean your chest over the barbell. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make you any better at any other sport. Actually, it's putting you in a worse athletic position. Yet in our sport, if someone's doing it versus somebody that's not, they're going to win. It's just like such an advantage. You learning the little things like that is not worthwhile. So just stay with like the, I want to get stronger. I want to get faster. I want to all the normal strength and conditioning things you'd be doing in other sports, but just do it in the CrossFit methodology. Why have you chosen to no longer include certain movements in your workouts? Uh, and that is a, that is a reference to we've, we've had, I don't remember what episode it was, but you had mentioned that you've for a while now stopped doing things like handstand walks and you can kind of fill in the, fill in yeah. the rest as to yeah. the, the movements that when they do show up, you say, okay, I'm going to sub that for this. Um, so we actually had a couple of questions of like, what, what is the reasoning behind Fill again, fill in the blank that you don't do this, but you do that instead. Okay. Um, as you were asking the question, I was putting it through my head and like the, uh, three things popped up. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first one is this, it's the follow up to the question we just answered third wave adaptations. Yep. I don't need to be, I don't want to be a competitor in the sport, so I don't need to learn how to bounce clean a barbell. I'm not that interested in, um, handstand walking. I'm not that interested in learning how to, um, cycle deficit, kipping handstand pushups or things like that. So it's just, yep. I don't want the third wave adaptation. I want to, um, be kicking ass into my nineties, um, and be void of disease. So that's the first mm-hmm. one. The second one is the risk of injury. Um, as you edge towards those things, handstand walking, um, kipping handstand pushups, muscle ups, the risk of injury goes up. It just, it is. I mean, I don't have to like sit and pretend like there's no injury in the sport. There is. Mm-hmm. And but if you mitigate certain movements, it goes down. It's kind of like the NFL. Like if you took out tackling at the NFL, <laughs> yeah. it would, injury rates would go down. I promise yeah. you they would. Now it's your choice of whether you play flag football or tackle football. I don't play tackle football. I do play flag football. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you which level you want to go after that. Third one is I do things I enjoy. I, I'd, I'd like to do now. And I like to do – I would much rather do a set of dumbbell bench press than I would a set of kipping handstand pushups. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not as into the sport side of CrossFit as I once was when I was, um, you know, competing at back in my day, it was sectionals and the games (laughs) and stuff on a team. So, um, so those three things, what I like to do third wave adaptations, I want to do it for life and, um, other sports, not CrossFit and, uh, risk of injuries. Yeah. Does the, the, to the last one there, the risk of injuries, do you, at, at CrossFit New England, do you even still program some of those movements? And again, you fill in the yeah. blanks to which ones they are. Um, or or even have you taken it to the next step, which is to say 99% of my members don't need to be doing these things. And so we don't even put them on the board uh, even to start with. Yeah, we actually have four different programming tracks mm-hmm. that people can follow. They are called the games track, which is for people that are trying to compete at the games. Um, it's for the Catrins, the Coles, um, those type of people. Yep. Then we have an open track, which is for people that are training for, obviously, the open, but also sets them up for online qualifier events. Yep. Basically, in-gym virtual. So in-gym virtuals, you're not going to be swimming. You're not probably going to be pushing prowlers. You're not going to be doing a lot of D-ball stuff, mm-hmm. the games you do. Then we have a performance um, and a fitness track. The performance and fitness track don't have any of the quote unquote CrossFit sports movements, muscle ups, handstand pushups, handstand walking, pistols, things like that. Mm-hmm. It's um, at CrossFit New England, we allow the athletes, the customers, to choose which track they want to follow based off of their goals. And one person's goals are not better or worse than the other. If somebody wants to look really good on the beach, like they're going to follow one track. If somebody wants to try to make it to the games, they're going to follow another track. That is irregardless of ability. Mm -hmm. The person trying to make it uh, to try and compete in the open might not have a pull-up, might not be able to um, do a handstand push-up at all. And the person that just wants to look on the beach might be able to do 30 unbroken strict handstand push-ups. So it's not an ability thing. It's what are you trying – what are you pursuing? And what we've realized is inside of the CrossFit methodology, constantly varied function was prone to high intensity. It doesn't have to be just one of those things. Mm-hmm. All of those things live underneath that umbrella. So um, we have backed off of handstand pushups, handstand walking, muscle ups, things like that in our class programming. But we have not at all backed away from that in our open or games programming. And all of that programming lives together in the same, what's the coolest part about this? And this is what comp training programming essentially, I would say it's one of our kind of like, um, uh, core tenets to the mm-hmm. comp train program is all of those different programs are doing the same workout or a very close variation of it mm-hmm. for the main quote unquote wad, the Metcon, the conditioning piece of the day, but the accessory pieces around it are what change drastically. So everyone can work out together. Yep. Yep. Got it. Okay. Next question is a little bit of a longer question, but would love to hear your take on getting a sick and physically limited person into the gym. Someone in my life in their fifties is severely impeded uh, in movement and functionality. He's got a, he or she has a a severed tendon in one shoulder and was told that they either need two full knee reconstructions or spend the rest of their life in a wheelchair. Uh. This person also suffers from recurring Barma forest, 
disease. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Um, as well as chronic fatigue. They, um, they get in and work as hard as they can when they can, but it takes a toll and sometimes they have to stay in bed for a week or more to recover. Being an avid CrossFitter myself, I believe that some form of functional movement could hold the key to higher quality of life. And this person has helped me, uh, asked me to help them in this regard, but I don't know what to suggest. Okay, cool. Um, thank you for reaching out. Um, that person, um, is amazing for reaching out to you and asking for your help and your assistant assistance. And they're also amazing for giving it a try. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's a, that's a tough situation. I don't know what the disease is, so mm-hmm. I, I can't speak specifically to that. Um, but I think that they actually answered the question in their own question. Mm. When they said, I believe that functional movements hold the key. Mm-hmm. But I think that they also um, said what the issue was in the question, which was the person comes in, works as hard as they can, but then needs to take a week off. Yep. In this situation, so I'm going to equate it to, I've worked with a fair amount of people that have Lyme disease. Mm. And Lyme disease is just like massive chronic fatigue, yeah. um, super roller coaster. You feel great. You feel terrible. You can't pinpoint anything. It's hard to create um, causality and effects and draw yep. the lines between what am I doing right? And what am I doing wrong? Um, strangely enough, this is a tangent, but the, the biggest correlate we've seen is sugar. Yeah. Um, when people document everything is sugar is the thing that seems to set people off the most. Yep. Um, but the next one is actually the thing that sets people off the most is overdoing workouts. Mm. And it's so easy to do that inside that environment, inside a CrossFit gym, inside when you're with somebody that is a go-getter like a CrossFit coach. And it is a tenant of our philosophy is high intensity. I think that this is just my take and not knowing specifics, but from a a 10,000 of a view and um, really far away across this virtual platform that we're, we're working with. My suggestion would be to extremely, extremely, extremely lower the intensity level. Unfortunately, that gets rid of a lot of the sexiness of the programming because that's what creates people. They feel good when they work hard. They feel accomplished. That dopamine response and um, the runner's high shows up. Exactly. So what we need to – unfortunately, what we need to do is go back to what they said at the end of the question, which is – rely on functional movements mm-hmm. and get the person because with the knee replacements and the severed shoulder and whatever else was going on, I tried to grab as much as I could. There is a big question. Yeah. Um, what they need to do is that the person that's asking us is correct is get back to functional movements and there may not be a better strength conditioning or physical therapy program than CrossFit for that. Now you can also supplement with some isolation type stuff and I'm, I'm all for that actually. So um, what I mean by that is, yes, let's try to get this person to press a training bar above their head. That's great. But let's also supplement that with some things like some rotator cuff stuff mm-hmm. and really work on some like isolation type things as well. What we don't want to do is just do that PT type stuff. As long as we're bringing it back to the functional movement pattern, we're going to be doing that. Get them to squat to a 30 inch box and then a 26 inch box and then a 24 inch box and then a 20 inch box and just slowly, slowly, slowly baby step the whole program. 
So when I've worked with my clients that have Lyme disease, this is what we go back to. They're coming off of some of them really fit people and they unfortunately get Lyme disease. It's kind of prevalent here in, the, in New England. Yep. Um, and um, we have to start from scratch. We start from let's do three sets of five air squats. Honestly, that's honestly what we do. And then we do that for two weeks. And if we see after two weeks, it's okay. Then we don't do it. We don't linear progression. It's not every single time they come in, then it doesn't go, okay, that was okay. Now let's go to three sets of 10 and three sets of 15. Mm -hmm. And then let's load weight. We do it for a couple times and make sure that this is not too much or too little. And when we feel good about that, then we bring it up to the next one. Mm -hmm. what, what, re, what this requires a little bit is if the person is not super disciplined themselves, you have to be a really good friend and um, keep it exciting for them in the gym. Yep. Yep. Got it. Okay. Is it better to have a, uh, is it better to have a significant calorie deficit, like a thousand calories or more for the day or to hit your maintenance calories with lower quality food? So eat okay. or don't eat if the, if what you're eating is, is not so, uh, not so good on the quality. Um, right. Meat. Okay. So this is like the, um, the old men's fitness thing that you always say is like, it's better to eat, um, anything than not eat, never skip a meal, like mm -hmm. fuel the furnace type thing. Like uh, if, if you don't get, if you can't get your good food, just eat something. Cause you got to keep it going. Um, this really depends on the goals. So if your goals are performance related, then I would say work towards the maintenance calories. Like Katrin cannot go a thousand, cannot be short a thousand calories one yeah. day. That she yeah. just can't do that. That's like you're not filling up the gas tank of the car. So if you're performance related, whether you're trying to run a marathon or you're trying to make the CrossFit Games or um, you're trying to you know be the fittest guy in your gym, I would edge towards the the maintenance calories. Obviously, make the best food choices you can. If you're trying to lose weight and or work towards longevity and health, I would go towards the deficit. Mm. I think that it's better to under eat than it is to eat crap. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's equivalent of like, what's your take on intermittent fasting? Yeah. It would be my same answer. If you're going for performance, no. If you're going for weight loss and health, yes. So it's the same type of answer for either one of those things. It's okay to under eat every now and then. It's mm -hmm. way better than being like, well, I'm under a thousand calories. And the only thing in front of me is those, is that Entenmann's raspberry Danish twist. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that's a throwback to my childhood. Those things were <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. We used to sneak those into my mom's, into the shopping cart and put them like underneath <laughs> things. So she wouldn't see them. Yep. And then we got to like the check-in area. One brother, one of the, one of the three brothers, Distract one brother her. would distract her. Yeah. While the <laughs> other one, they, they like reach for the Reese's in the checkout aisle. So she'd be like, no, you can't have the Reese's. Yep. Like, <laughs> and then it'd be gone before we got home. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, that's the, I guess that's the advantage of brothers, right? You've got a, you've got a crew. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Next question. You always talk about not leaderboarding, but at the same time you recommend posting results to comments or to write them on the whiteboard. How do these two things go together? That's a cool question. Um, they don't go together. They're two mm. different things. Posting scores to comments is not leaderboarding. Leaderboarding is the verb of mm. what you do after you post your scores to comments. And I want people to assess and analyze their performance against their cohorts, their peers, their competition. 
but you don't do it in the actual competition. Mm. You do it afterwards. Leaderboarding is you going into the leaderboard and going like, oh gosh, like um, I came in, I'm, I'm 53rd, three points out of a qualifying spot. That means if this person drops and I need to get this, that's what leaderboarding is. Mm-hmm. Leaderboarding is not posting your scores to comments. Posting your scores to comments is part of the sense of what CrossFit is, which is doing science. It's measurable, observable, repeatable data. Mm-hmm. We need to be doing that. And then from there, I want people to analyze with those results, where are their strengths and weaknesses? So it's two separate things. They are not aligned. They're kind of at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Does that makes sense. I, I, in yes. my head, that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, why do CrossFit competitors wear a weight belt during Metcons, especially when they are training at a light or medium weight at high reps? Seems like they should wear a weight. Uh, they should wear a belt as little as possible to continue to build core stability. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, honestly, for real, like that's yeah. I, I agree. Like they should not be wearing a weight belt when they're doing light and moderate conditioning pieces. Now. In training, this person said, for sure, for sure. Now, in a competition, sometimes that it, it, it's a um, it's a performance enhancer mm. because it's essentially giving you more core stability. So even if you're doing something light, like DT is for these guys, super light, it's way below their 50% for all three movements, so that's considered light. Um, you know, 155 pounds for guys, all these guys can clean jerk 300 pounds. So even the hardest moving jerk, um, it's below 50%. Yet they'll still wear a belt because of the, the tax that goes on their back with that much volume. Mm. So it's essentially, it's a little performance enhancer, Mm -hmm. but I agree with the, what we have to, we feel what we're calling people (laughs) ask these questions. I agree. Listener. I agree. Questioner (laughs) putter inner. I agree. I think Com- that last one, questioner, putter, in her. Ch- <laughs> chasing excellence. Chaser, excellence chaser. Chaser. That's uh, so tacky. <laughs> but yes, I agree that they should not be using it in training with light and moderate loads. So okay. I'm with you. Like, what's the deal with that? <laughs> Got it. Why are sit-ups programmed so often in comp train? So few programs use them. I'm curious the team's reasoning. Um. They are not. <laughs> now, I'm not disputing what the person said. <laughs> yep. they're, but they're not programmed frequently at all. Okay. They are programmed frequently in the gym aspect and the home gym. So okay. as we talked about those different tracks, yep. in the games and open tracks, they are not programmed at all. Like if you look back over the last month, I'd be shocked if they show up more than twice in a month. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now, if this person, I would love that this person can call me out on this and write back and just be like, no, you're wrong. Like, <laughs> with, with, um, with screenshots and evidence. But I, I mean, I'm doing the programming and I really don't think that's the case. Got it. But for the class environment and for home gym and for our online WOD stuff, they do show up a fair amount. Mm-hmm. And mostly because of the environment that we're living in right now, which we realize a lot of people don't have access to full gyms. Mm-hmm. So it is become a easy um, movement to add in across the board when you have such limited availability to create variance in your programming. It's an easy thing to throw in that does a lot of benefit. It's a functional movement. 
if you cannot get up off the ground, you failed. If you can't do a sit up, I should say the, the other way. The other way. Yep. If you can't do a sit up, you fail the ability to get up off the ground. Yep. So it's a it's a functional movement that we program into our at home workouts a lot, um, and our um, fitness and performance um, tracks. Got it. As a coach or leader or manager, how do you get your quote unquote sled dogs, be they athletes or employees, to pace themselves and trust you to make the best long term decisions? I know from experience, this is harder with younger athletes and employees, especially, or even more relevant to right now. How do you get your team to buy into long term goals during the pandemic when all of, uh, with all of the current distractions? So it's kind of a short term, long term question. I had a hard time following that. Can you give me that in your words? Totally. What's, yep. what, what's the so, question? So uh, let's stick to the competitive side because I think that that's um, – I think we can yeah, carry over like to the other stuff. But like how do you get your sled dogs who are – and maybe maybe define sled dogs as you and Catherine think about it. How do you yeah, get yeah. them to, to rein things back and trust you for the long term and not go all out this week, you know, today or whatnot? Okay. Um, so to find what a sled dog is, sled dog is, um, their worst, their hardest days are rest days. Mm-hmm. They love being in the gym. They love doing work. The bigger, the harder to the meaner, the work, the better. Um, it's where they find joy and fulfillment. They are truly born and bred to do work. A mm-hmm. sled dog. That's literally what they were created to do. And when they're not doing that, they are unhappy. And that's why they howl, um, until they get to run. Mm-hmm. That's Katrin for sure. Um, and particularly Katrin of, um, you know, 2015, 16, 17, where it's like, you could not give her enough work. Mm-hmm. Um, now as a, um, 27 year old, not a 24 year old, 23 year old, um, the it's, she's still the sled dog, um, but she mm-hmm. understands she bought into it a little bit. So that's a question yeah. that's person I think is asking is how do you get people to buy into it? Exactly. Um, yeah, it's hard. I mean, that's, that's the, the bottom line of it. Um, it's, um, it's a matter of them buying into you. It's a matter of your job as a leader is you, you believe that your way is a, um, fill in the blank, a superior way, a more efficient way, a tactful way, a, um, um, it's the way that you believe should be the, that the, the task should be aligned and executed. Mm -hmm. So your job is to create buy-in. And we've done a fair amount of podcasts on how to create trust and buy in with your team or individuals. And it essentially starts with creating a really strong relationship and um, acting with integrity. And if you, you know, we've said this a couple of times on this podcast now, but if it's not the saying is not uh, practice what you preach, but only preach what you practice. Mm. If you only preach what you practice, you act with integrity. They can say, like, oh, Oh, this is, they're, they're telling me the way that they, so you're leading, then you are leading not just with words, but with actions. That's actually what gets you to that point. Yep. And then from there, you do all the other things that create trust. You uh, listen more than you talk. You um, work really hard to understand where they're coming from. You never break a promise. You um, see everything from their point of views, not from yours. Mm-hmm. You, um, you make them feel heard. So it's a matter of creating trust. So it's a big, um, probably it might be a three minute answer instead of a two minute <laughs> answer. That's where it starts is understand the athletes, um, and understand what it is. Cause everyone's going to speak a different quote unquote love language. Yep. Or do, how are you going to like speak to them to the way that they, um, believe in you? 
Yeah. I also and imagine not one answer. I also imagine we've talked about it before, but it's also probably to a degree of um, you've got to show them the results so that they buy into not only the trust in the process, but you also give them the proof that, oh, okay, I guess I've seen her, him, whatever, get the results that I'm looking for. And so I'm going to trust Ben when he says that this is how we do it. Yep. So there's different levels of buy-in and um, John Maxwell calls it different levels of leadership. And the first one is um, title only, which people only yep. follow because you are their coach. It's a, they're so shallow. There actually is no buy-in. There is no trust. They do it because they're forced to, whether that's a manager or a coach or a parent, a teacher, doesn't matter. The next one is um, relationship-based, which is, I, I like you, Patrick. I'm like, I kind of trust you. I believe yep. you like, cause I like you. Like, why would you lie to me? We're friends. The one above that is what you're alluding to, which is results. Mm -hmm. Um, and unfortunately in this situation, it's the level three because you showing that this works for the person takes a long time and they have to buy into it. Yeah. So what you have to do beforehand before that is show that you've produced results for other people. Mm -hmm. And this is where like legacy coaching comes in. People want to be a part of Nick Saban's program because he's won before. Mm -hmm. So they come to the program and they're like, we trust you, Nick, because we know your method works. Now, if you've never done that before, it's hard. If you've never gotten results for another person, if you've never gotten someone to lose 100 pounds, you've never gotten someone to the CrossFit Games, if you've never gotten someone off diabetes medication, if you've never gotten someone to run a sub three-hour marathon and someone's coming to you to do one of those things, then they're going to be somewhat skeptical because you've never done it before, rightfully so. Now, what you need to do is realize you've never done this before either, and you need to double back down on the relationship side because mm. you can't skip levels. Yep. You can't go, just trust me. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Because where? Where's the proof in the pudding? <laughs> yeah. Now, the next level above that is when you get results for that person. Yep. And now it's like, listen, you've got, you got me to lose 100 pounds. You got me to run a sub three-hour marathon, and I made it to the CrossFit Games. Now, when you tell me to do this – like there's no, I'm not going to question that at all. Like I, I totally trust you, Patrick. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Uh, it's funny. Actually, you mentioned, uh, preach what you practice because the next question is basically about that. Do coaches ever feel like they are uh, being hypocritical if they are, aren't practicing what they preach at the moment? My nutrition is less uh, than optimal. I'm training regularly, but I, uh, but feel pressure to be perfect. I was wondering if other coaches ever get stuck in this rut. How do I short circuit this thinking? Okay. Um, yes, I should have saved it. This is the answer to that question. <laughs> but yeah, you, yeah, if you, you shouldn't be preaching perfect. Yep. Don't preach perfect because it's not attainable. And don't hold yourself to a standard that's unattainable. Don't hold your clients to a standard that's unattainable. Perfection does not exist. And if you feel guilty because you're not perfect, like, well, then every single person on the planet Earth, Michael Jordan wasn't perfect basketball mm -hmm. player. You know, he missed, he was trusted with 26 game winning shots that he missed. Like, there's no such thing as perfect and you shouldn't hold yourself there. The next one is, yeah, if you feel hypocritical, stop being hypocritical. Mm. So it's not, it's not um, practice what you preach. It's only preach what you practice. Mm -hmm. So if you have pizza and beer on Saturday nights, but then you tell your clients that you, they shouldn't be doing cheat meals – like, yeah, you should feel hypocritical. You're being hypocritical. Mm. But if you say, listen, this is what I do. Um, I know I'm not perfect and maybe I'm not your role model, but this is what's working for me. And by the way, this is what I have challenged with. This is what I struggle with. Yeah. I feel like I need to be perfect because I'm a coach and I'm put on this pedestal and I have these faults. Like now suddenly you're creating this vulnerability and it's the opposite of being hypocritical. So 
I think there's a few layers to that, which is perfection does not exist. Don't hold yourself to that standard. The next one is don't, um, don't be hypocritical. Practice, uh, preach only what you practice. And the third one is um, when you don't, when you do both those things, no perfection, and you say you you say only what that what you do, your integrity goes up, mm-hmm. and your fulfillment in yourself and your trust in yourself goes up. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, people will buy into you more. And when they do that, all of a sudden, that's when you kind of like your coaching mojo starts to rise. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that this this was the question, but I thought about it when I was reading it, which is what about how do you how do you tailor that answer, if at all, for for maybe movement or skill based uh, things? For example, like I feel weird teaching somebody how to do a muscle up if I, in fact, myself can't do a muscle up. And there's that kind of I don't know if it's tension, but that kind of thing where it feels like uh, it. Do I feel comfortable and competent at this thing that I can't physically do myself? Yeah, that's cool. I like that's a that's a good um, add on to the question. I, I think Bill Belichick would have a hard time beating his mm. um, any of his players in any football drill. Yep. It's not about ability; it's about buy-in. Mm-hmm. It's do they buy into you? Do they believe now? If you don't have any other credibility and they don't trust you otherwise, you better be able to show them how to do it. Mm. Like if you can't coach worth a lick, you better be at least be like, watch how I do it and do yep. it. Yep. Like Michael Jordan doesn't need to be a very good coach because he needs to be like, this is the way I do it. This mm-hmm. is like, do it like I do it. You know, and that's a, that's one form of leadership. But if you don't have the other forms, all the other intangibles, the trust, the buy-in, that stuff – then yeah, you better be able to do that stuff. But, um, you know, when Phil Jackson was coaching Michael, he couldn't beat Michael, yeah. you know, even though he was a NBA player. So it's not about, and he probably couldn't dunk the basketball, but he could still talk to Michael about how attacking, how to attack the hoop because mm-hmm. there was trust and there was buy-in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. How do I increase my coaching confidence without overwhelming myself? These are all like take... perfect segues from yeah, one they are. to the you're, next. You're doing a good next. job. Uh, no, how you, do I... you set up the questions. <laughs> well how do I increase my coaching confidence without overwhelming myself by taking on too much too quickly? We might have answered in a lot of the, the last three questions, mm-hmm. but I think it's a matter of, um, to me, coaching is – so how do I increase the, – the question basically is how do I get become a better coach without overwhelming myself? Yeah, correct? like I, my, when I read it, I think it's like I'm a, I'm a relatively new coach. I don't want to throw myself into the deep end too soon, but how do I get myself there without, yeah. without you know, drowning okay. in the process? I'll take this – I'll just take this as a different perspective just because we talked about the last, yep. the last approach for quite a bit. Instead of talking about like earn trust, earn yep. buy-in, yep. I'll, um, I'll say um, – Work on your craft to be able to establish trust in yourself. Mm. And this is the 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours of deep practice. So if you're trying to build your confidence, there's nothing we can do that's going to create confidence that doesn't have to do with you becoming better. Mm. So confidence is directly correlated to the amount of work you're putting in. Otherwise, you're just faking the funk. Mm -hmm. It's not a real thing. And what we need to do is be able to make sure that if you're trying to become better at your craft, that you're doing just that, you're becoming better at your craft. Now, um, 
somebody just reached out to me recently about uh, what book should I read in to become uh, more knowledgeable in the CrossFit space. Yeah. And I sent them 10 or 12 books and zero of them had to do with the CrossFit space. Mm. Um, so to me, it's all about – actually, if, for people that are watching this, I sent them this bookshelf right here. Mm, the best um, of? Yeah. Yep. So it's yep. – um, mm. I sent them that list. That's my favorites yep. right there. Yep. So it's things like how to talk to people. It's things about how to understand people. It's about mindset. It's about um, uh, creating a values-based organizations. It's about team building. It's about, um, you know, all those things are what I feel like have – we just did a podcast about – um, coaching about yep. effective coaching, the, yep. the, the five, the five tenets of coaching. And what I laid out in that one was 80% has nothing to do with actually the sport. Mm-hmm. So if you want to become a better coach, learn how to become better at communicating with people, learn about how to create stronger, um, values and fulfillment and other things than the X's and the O's. Cause that's the easy part. Figuring out what the glycemic load is, is easy. Figuring out um, what the bar path of a snatch is easy. Those two things also don't matter that much. Mm. You know, John, I think his name is John Berardi, Precision Nutrition is, um, it's it's such a good course. I haven't even taken it, so that's, but I just understand, I, I know the tenants, I've heard him speak a fair amount of times, I've leafed through the book. He understands that it's not about getting somebody to eat vegetables instead of cookies. Mm-hmm. You have to understand why, why are they eating cookies instead of vegetables? Mm-hmm. And then how are you going to work with them to create change? What everyone tries to do is they try to learn the knowledge. They try to learn that a cookie has 46 grams of sugar. And what sugar does is when you eat it, it releases, in the pancreas releases insulin. And insulin is an inflammatory. And insulin um, is a fat storage hormone. And that's what... So, okay, why is the person eating a cookie instead of vegetables? To me, it's like if you can understand that aspect of coaching, that's what I would lean into the most. And it's not overwhelming. You just pick up a book Mm. and you start reading. And every book that you're reading, if you can can tie it to to your practice, it's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. If you don't feel like this is going to make you a better coach in any way – then stop reading and get the next one. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of like pick up a book. You got to finish it. Yep. Start one. And if you are, I give myself like three chapters usually. And by the third chapter, it's not like this is not resonating. Um, I'm on to the, I'm on to something else. Yep. Got it. Last question we've got. I would love to hear you and Ben's thoughts on uh, regarding diversifying the CrossFit space. Okay. They said you, Patrick and Ben's thoughts. So I'll let you go first. <laughs> you want me to go first? What's your okay. thoughts? Yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Oh man. Um, yeah, I think so. I think my my one big thing would be at the end of I, I don't I don't do the podcast anymore at least at least temporarily, um, but open gym at the end of that the last 
six weeks maybe, I focused exclusively on talking to people who were in the CrossFit space and doing some kind of nonprofit charity type work. And most of it because this was all right in the midst of the the George Floyd stuff. And so that was kind of the what was uh, front of mind for me and a lot of people. And so coming away from that, the, the, and this is the kind of the big thing, is that there are people who have been focused on this in some way, shape, or form for 10 plus years. I think about uh, a charity or, or a gym not far from you called Inner City Weightlifting. The guy, his name is John. He started it. He's been doing it for 10 plus years. There are people, there are, there are organizations like Steve's Club that I know you know and the Green Brave yeah, Project. Steve's Club's These guys are on the ground daily fighting this fight. And so my thing is, why don't we just help them? Why don't we help? They know how to do it. They know what it needs to look like. They're on the ground. Their experience is better, is, is more relevant than ours. And so when we look at it, and, and I say that with it through the perspective of CrossFit HQ starting to try to figure out how to do this. And I love that, right? They're starting to do the, the, I think, I don't remember what they call it, but like the scholarship L1s. And, and I think that's great. But what I would rather they, they do is just say, mm. here's our platform, people who have been literally fighting this fight for, for a decade. And we're just going to help you do it better because we think that you know the problems better than we do. That's awesome, Patrick. Yeah. Um, if I, if I, if I knew the answer to this, I'd be moving forward with it. And I yeah. don't know the answer. Um, that's really the thing. So, you know, when all this stuff did start going down, you know, um, last spring, um, I, I, I try to have a lot of conversations and yeah. I think that's, that's the, that's the first point is just like have more conversations. But then I'd also like to, you know, I, I, I understand the perception. I, you know, that, um, there's not a lot of diversity in the sport, mm -hmm. but I, I'd also, you know, I, I, to your point, there are people that are in the space that are trying this re and trying to do this in a very committed and passionate way. Mm -hmm. So it's not like this isn't something, it's just something that's like, we're just realizing. Yep. We've been aware of this for a long time. And I, CrossFit HQ is being a little more vocal and transparent with what they're doing now, but all that stuff was going on before. Like they were building um, inner city gyms that people could attend for free. That, that was already happening. Yep. Um, it's one of the few sports that women and men get equal airtime and equal prize money. Mm -hmm. At the CrossFit Games last year, not last year, two years ago, they mandated that a man and female from every country was represented. So at a high level, that's like as – that's – like we're mandating that there is participation. And by the way, the, to, to qualify, there's no other, uh, an internet access. And I think it was 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. um, so there, but I, I don't have a good answer. Um, I think your answer is phenomenal. I would love to see, and I know Steve from Steve's club. So that's why um, I would love, I'm sure the other ones are equally as um, passionate and effective. Cause I know mm -hmm. Steve's club is changing people's lives. I love the idea of leaning into and doubling down on those efforts. Mm -hmm. To your point, I think that Steve's done a great job. And if we were able to replicate what he's doing a few different spots, that would go a long way. Yep.
Agreed. But the honest yep. answer is the honest answer is I don't have a good answer. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Yep. Yeah, I agreed. Um, I do think it's a good question to be asking, and I think that's the first step. Right? Yeah. I'm a man. That was our two-minute drill for the month. Thank you to everybody out there who sends me questions. You can find me on uh, Instagram, P.S. Cummings, and just drop me a DM, and I will add them, uh, add your question to our long, wonderful list of questions, and we will be back next week on another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.